And kind of as a, a lead into that, I just want to show you a quick music video. And we'll start. How's that? Is that good? You guys are brave. You've weathered the storm. As of yesterday afternoon, there were several churches in town that had canceled service before this morning got here. Some of them were in town. I couldn't believe it. And uh, it's cold. I hate the winter. I seriously hate the winter. Bad. I hate it. So let's, talk, let's watch the video and we'll get going. This here's a song about two sets of Joneses Rothschild, Evelyn, Reuben, and Sue Just for discussion through random selection We've chosen two couples who haven't a clue Rothschild was lucky to marry so wealthy Evelyn bought him a house on the beach Reuben and Sue, they had nothing but Jesus And at night they would pray that he cared for them each And the rain came down And it blew the four walls down And the clouds, they rolled away One set of Joneses was standing that day and Evelyn's daddy was proud of young Rothschild He worked the late hours to be number one Just newlyweds and their marriage got rocky He's flying to Dallas, she's having a son Reuben was holding Gideon's Bible And he screamed, it's a boy, so that everyone heard And the guys at the factory took a collection And again God provided for bills he'd incurred and the rain came down And it blew the four walls down And the clouds, they rolled away And one set of Joneses was standing that day So what is the point of this story? What am I trying to say? Well, is your life built on the rock of Christ Jesus Or a sandy foundation you've managed to lay? Well, needless to say, Evelyn left her husband And sued him for every penny he had I truly wish that those two would find Jesus Before things get worse than they already have And the rain 
And one set of Joneses was standing that day Sets of Joneses. Which ones will you be? insight. Is that better? Is that on? One week. Valentine's Day. You want to hear something? There are more than 27,000 jewelry stores in the United States. There's hope for you yet, gentlemen. Last year, February, February 2009, in the midst of economic chaos, in the month of February alone, Americans spent $2.2 billion in jewelry stores last February. $2.2 billion. It takes more than that to make a marriage. It takes more than that to keep things rolling in the right direction. Um, you know, we're talking about, we're going to be talking about those kinds of things. And so, so you may say, well, you know, I'm, I'm already married. Most of us probably aren't doing as good a job as we could in marriage. Some of us may say, you know, I'm done with marriage. I'm beyond that for whatever reason or whatever. But all of us have people in our lives who are working through struggles and working through things. And, and God would have us be an undergirdment and a help to them. So over the next few weeks, we hope to, to re-identify uh, some things that are necessary. Hope to, to, to touch on some things that will help you not only grow in your own marriage and your own relationships, but also help you deal with the, the, the situations that other people are walking through. Maybe be able to give you some, some insight and some wisdom to, to pass along to them. And so it's just, this is really for everybody. All of our lives are affected in some way or another by a marriage about a relationship. Some, in some capacity or another, they're, they're affected. And so we, we want to contend with those and keep God's point of view on that. I, I found this, um, sometimes, I don't, know, I don't know what kind of marriage you have or what kind of marriage you've been involved in or whatever, but some of you may relate to this, this, this quote I found. It says, sometimes it was worth all the disadvantages of Mary just to have that one friend in an indifferent world. Some of you may look at marriage as a disadvantage in some capacity or another for whatever reason because the relationship is not good, because there's a lot of stress, a lot of frustration. But I will tell you one thing. It makes all the difference in the world when you know that you have that, that, that person who's on the same level that you are, who understands who you are, who loves you in spite of yourself, who is there when you get home at night, who will listen to you when you cry and bellyache and complain makes all the difference in the world, and so we want to solidify that. You know, in Genesis 2, God starts with marriage. 
right in the second chapter of the book. Really, it's in, it's, it's in the first chapter. The Bible says here, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who's just right for him. And it's, the, next, the next few verses seem rather strange to me because it's, like, it's almost like God goes off on a tangent for a second. And the Lord God formed from the ground all the animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. Out of everything God created, he said there's, there's still something lacking. There's still something else. They need to take relationship, friendship, whatever, to another level. And so God said, let me do something significant. Let me do something off the chart. Let me do something out of the ordinary. And it says this, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one, took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. The man says, at last, this one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24 says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined into his wife. You know, I was, there's an onslaught against marriage, against family. There's an onslaught against, uh, on a, on a, at, a, at a political level, at a social level, there is an onslaught against marriage from a spiritual level. Satan despises this institution of marriage. He hates it. I bet I get more phone calls about marriage and relational issues than I do about homes in distress than I do about anything else. I bet, I bet they outnumber three to four to one to every other topic on the planet. I bet, I bet they outnumber prayer requests. Five to one, houses in some sort of distress, marriages in some, under some kind of turmoil. I'll bet you, it's just it's day after day after day. Sometimes you guys sit in service here with people and everything looks great and fine and peachy. But that's just on the surface. Underneath there are things going on, there are problems occurring and everything looks great, but it's not like it seems. Satan is out to destroy it. I, I, I was um, compelled to... to, to, to to kind of do a study. I'm kind of a little bit ahead of myself, but I, I just, I wanted to go on. Um, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Let, 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 turn to Matthew chapter 7 with me really quick. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy from families, but the one thing we can do is solidify this foundation. If the foundation is strong, it will last. If a foundation is correct, it will withstand every storm, every problem. We just heard, I got a question for you. Which set of Joneses will you be? See, on the surface, Evelyn and Rothschild looked like they had it all going on. Successful job, successful uh, monetarily, doing great things. And in this story, they're the one family that collapsed. The other family seemingly had nothing. All they had was Reuben and Sue. All they had was Jesus. And each night they'd pray that he'd care for them each. To pay for their... The, the, the delivery of their child, the, the guys at the factory take up a collection. And once again, God provided for bills they had incurred. Evelyn and, and Rothschild's marriage collapses while Reuben and Sue keep growing. And though it seems like they have nothing, they had everything. And so I got a question for you. Which, 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 which one will you be? 
Is it about all the stuff that you have, all the things? I was just talking before service, Todd and, and, and Jason and I, Jason Andrews, were talking about how people are freeing themselves from financial distress, and it's good for their families. Am I right, Jason? Am I right, Todd? I, am a, I, have, I, have grown, I have grown to become a Dave Ramsey fan. My wife, when she, we first started paying attention to him, she like got, got amped up right now. Just. And I kind of, well, okay, you know, kind of took it as it was. And over the last month or so, we've, we've really been, we've been making strides financially ourselves, trying to alleviate all that stress, trying to be free to be what God wants us to be. And, and we got ourselves in a position where, where, where we've, we've paid off a lot of our, our bills and our debt and we're just, we're just trying to stay on track and so we can get where we need to go, so we can provide for our kids appropriately, so that we can give as God wants us to give and all that sort of thing. And, and about, I don't know, several weeks ago, my wife asked me, she, we, had, we had a, anybody have some furniture that just breaks down and just gives up the ghost? Ever, you ever have that happen? We had this chair we just had to get rid of because it was through. It was just done, you know? And so we got rid of this chair, and, and I'm like, man, I'd really like someday to have like, like a section or something here in the living room. And to my wife, that was like the green light. You know what I mean? Huh? So she starts surfing Craigslist in different places, and she's looking around, and she found this sweet sectional that was like, no problem. And we, were just, we just began to gain momentum, man, financially speaking. And she comes to me, and she goes, Aaron. I found this section. I think it's perfect. I think it's right. I, oh, good. I went, okay. She went, well, you're the one who said we needed some different seating and stuff in the house. I said, I know, but we are doing so good. We are staying so focused and on target. And for the first time ever in our lives, I'm using the footloose and fancy free one. I don't know if you guys have ever, if you guys took, took Finance Speech University, I'm the, the hippie part, remember? And then there's the, the, the nerd who's got all their numbers in a row and stuff. They've, they've talked about the family situations. Well, I'm the freelance guy in Christiana. Or Christiana. <laughs> she does look like, look like her mom, actually. Um, Rachel's the, she's hardcore, man. She's definite barriers and boundaries and let's get this done. For the first time, we swapped, we swapped roles. And I went, let's not do that just yet. And she went, I can't believe you just said that. And I said, no, we're doing so good. We're trying to alleviate the stress and stay focused. And that's how a relationship's supposed to work. And Satan will work. He'll, he'll, he'll use your finances. He'll use miscommunication. He'll use out exterior things. He'll use inter, internal things. He'll do all kinds of to bring, bring havoc and, 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 and unleash his hordes on your life. And if your foundation is not strong, it'll crumble. God speaks, Jesus speaks. Let's look at Matthew 7, 24. Matthew 7, 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows is, is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents, though the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. God's plan here is for marriage to last. He, he talks about marriage. He talks about relationship between a husband and a wife and a family from a, from a standpoint of not temp, of, uh, uh, it's not about temporary issues. It is about permanence. 
In this thing, Jesus says, if you build your house on a rock, it will stand. And it does not say if rain comes. It does not say if wind blows. It does not say if floodwaters rise. It says when. I got a weather report for you. Better than Buckeye Chuck. Better than Weather, weather, weather Channel. Better than all. The rain is coming. The wind will be blowing. The floodwaters will rise. Okay? I don't care how badly they missed it. For us this weekend, they're, they're, God's forecast is right, and he says, when? And he looks at your house from the standpoint of he wants it to be permanent, that it will withstand the, 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 the frustrations of life. It will stand the onslaught of the enemy. God looks at marriage. It is the, it is the foundational stone of civilization. In, in Genesis chapter 2, he takes man and woman. as the first thing he puts together in the garden is man and wife. Before he does anything else, he puts a, a family together, a marriage together. And from that, everything else springs forth out of that. Every other organization, every other institution, government, everything springs from that moment. And our society as a whole is allowing that to crumble. And we've got to do our part. We can't take care of all of it. We can't do our part. I was reading a few weeks ago. If you've been here on, on, on Wednesday nights where we were studying James, I talked about the last two. We were doing a study. On, I was doing a study just doing the sanctity of marriage. Just Googled that on, on, on a Google search. Put in sanctity of marriage. Boom, all this stuff comes up. Page after page after page of sanctity of marriage stuff comes up. And I anticipated that all this stuff about the sanctity of marriage would be stuff from a Christian perspective from ministries. Look at scriptural examples because the sanctity of marriage, that term means holiness of matrimony. The only place we find the real concept of that is in the scripture. And so I thought, man, it'll be, it'll be easy. And you know what I found? More times than not, like I'm talking like three quarters of the pages I found were people on different blogs, different news articles, everything, refuting the necessity of the sanctity of marriage. And their biggest beef, without fail, I would say 80% of the, 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 the argument they had was because people who call themselves people of faith, really, they said these words, they really do not hold ma marriage in a holy state. And the reason they said they don't do that is because of the divorce rate in, a, in the church. Because people who supposedly stand for family values vote people into office who then cheat on their wives, get divorced, and they say, how can you say that you believe in the holiness of matrimony if you can't even keep those things straight? I ran across a thing from George Barna. I tried to find some new information. 1999, he did, he did research about the American church, and he found that this about marriage, that in the evangelical church, 1999, there was a higher rate of divorce amongst so-called evangelicals than there were amongst agnostics and atheists. Satan is trying to destroy this foundational block of our culture. He's trying to mess it up. How do we change that? Because we do, we, here's how we change it. One house, one family. One marriage at a time, we build on the right foundation and we grow it. And we keep those things solid and stable. In, 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 in the Moody Handbook, it says this. The sacrament of marriage is a sign of the union between Christ and the church. 
In the Council of Florence, they declared in 1439, a triple good attaches to matrimony. The first is the begetting of children. It's adhering to the first commandment. Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, that's the first good. And educate their children in the worship of God. The second is faithfulness, which each spouse owes to the other. And the third is the indissolubility of marriage because it represents the indissoluble union of Christ and the church. God looks at marriage from the, from the standpoint of permanence. He looks at it, and everything we do, we have to look at it as if, it, as if there is no other option. Once we decide to walk that aisle, we have to begin to make decisions that we're going to solidify everything that has to do with this union. If you're, if you're a friend of somebody who's having marital problems and things like that, I think you are obligated by God to help them solidify that thing to the point that it will, it, it, it will, it will be strong and grow. If you're in the middle of a, of, of a marriage, you need to, to work everything you can to, to determine the permanence of it, to walk together in it. There's a founda- there are foundational blocks. We just read the first one. Jesus and his principles are the, are the foundational blocks. God designed marriage from the perspective of permanence. In order to have a solid and lasting structure, we must walk, must talk of foundations before we go any further. That's what we're going to do. Let's go to the next slide, guys. There are some necessary pieces for this, this foundation of marriage. Let's look at them real quick. I don't know if you can't really see the, the, the grid lines there, but, but these, are, these are like blocks. The foundation of all of life is this guy right here. And his word, we just read Matthew 7, 24. If you can see, there's, there's, there's one huge like cornerstone right here. One big block that's Jesus. Everything springs from and builds from him. He was in the beginning with God. He was God. He is the word John 1 talked about. God spoke and things came. He is the beginning of all of it. And out of him, he gives us different things to build with because we apply his principles. I was involved with Patrick so a few years ago when he was building his house. And the, one of the hardest things I watched and got to participate in was the building of that foundation of that house. Unbelievable. I never worked, I don't think, so hard in my whole life. Those 12-inch blocks were ridiculous. The digging and the preparing just to put the thing in was just unbelievable. And, but you know what I found? Once, we, once that thing was in place, it was like the rest of the house just shot up. Like, it, looked like, it was like it was creeping, 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 creeping. You really couldn't see anything. You go out a couple days. They'd they move some dirt around, dig out some stuff, do something. And then all of a sudden, the, the foundation got put in. Everything was solid and secure. Boom, the rest of the house just kind of almost like it appeared. It didn't fly away for Patrick, but it did to me. And I watched that happen. And you know what? What's true in the physical realm is true in the spiritual realm. If we take great care and concern and we solidify the foundation of the marriage, of our relationship, and this has to be a daily thing. This does not stop. This does not end like the construction of a house. It keeps going and going and going. And we have to push up against those walls and put barricades and strength around them to hold them secure. And these blocks that, that, that I have listed here are, are the, some of the pieces of the puzzle. Love, all of them are kind of interconnected. Love, trust, and respect kind of walk hand in hand, as does faith, hope, and commitment, as does reliability, flexibility, and durability, as does grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We're going to try and talk about the two, the two outside pillars there, the love, trust, and respect, and the grace, mercy, and forgiveness this morning. But I want to touch just really briefly, real quick, on the middle, because all three of the, all these columns kind of connect uh, in, in, between each other. Faith, hope, and commitment work together because out of faith, 
comes hope. Out of faith comes faithfulness. And when you walk as a person of faith and you walk in the hope of the scriptures, commitment grows in your life. Simultaneously, when you show that you're committed to your relationship and you walk in commitment, it grows hope in the life of your spouse. And it grows more faithfulness out of them. And so it becomes reciprocal. The more faith you show, the more hope grows. The more hope grows, the more commitment grows. The more commitment grows, the more hope grows. And they kind of intertwine between each other. Reliability, flexibility, and durability. Look at those things. The more reliable you are, the more durable your relationship will be. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And it will build relationship with your wife and your husband. If you decide to, how many of you guys have had an argument this week? Or a discussion coming from different angles? Huh? A discussion that went from opposite sides. Anybody have one of those? Well, you've got to learn to be flexible because the quake's coming. The, the, the quake is coming. I talked to Bill Turkovich this week. I told you guys this last week, didn't I? Was week before I tell you guys that last, last week? He, he, I talked to him this week, and he, he said they've given 20,000 pounds of food away and medica- medical supplies already in Haiti. And they're at a, at a supreme advantage. You know why? Because he operates out of the Dominican Republic. Everything coming into Haiti specifically, right, to Haiti, the ports, the airport, everything, is stacked up. It's bottlenecked. They're having a hard time figuring out how to distribute it, get it where it needs to go. Because he's operating out of the Dominican Republic and driving into Haiti. The ports are empty. The airport's cool. He pulls up with his truck, loads it up, drives to the border, stays overnight, crosses the border, distributes it. When I talked to him on Wednesday, he was waiting on five more tons of food and medical supplies to take back across the border on Friday. You're a part of that. Thank you, Jesus. We have, we have worked hard to make sure it gets into the right hands. People can help and do that. And he was excited. He just wanted to call and give us an update about what all was going on. He said, it's devastating. It's devastating because Haiti was not ready for an earthquake. They didn't design their buildings. The people were not educated. What would happen was when that quake happened, the buildings would pancake on top of each other. Boom, 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 boom. You ever watching, watching the, the, the twin towers fall and how it just collapsed on, on itself down to the ground? That's exactly what happened. The bad part about it was people didn't have enough education to figure out what they should do. Everything started quaking and weaving and bobbing. And what they did, they ran to the buildings. And because the buildings weren't ready, weren't designed in the capacity of thinking in terms of an earthquake might happen, boom, boom, boom. In California and other places where they're ready for earthquakes, you know what they need the buildings to do? They make them flexible. You know why? Because they know the quake is coming. And it's not if, it's when. And if you... If you find that there are certain, there are big things you should absolutely not be compromising on. Absolutely not. But you know what I find? It's usually not the big things that you, that you guys have problems getting on the same page on. It's usually it's the small things. Usually it's the negotiable things. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. So you've got to find those places where you and your spouse can be flexible. You know why? Because the quake is coming. The quake is coming. Flexibility will breed durability because if, you, if everything's just, that's the way it is, it's my way or the highway, when, they, when an argument happens, things start to go like this. If they start to go like that, 
It'll collapse on itself. It'll weave with things that combine to work together. There are things that just aren't that important. We get we strain on them sometimes, and we let them get away from us. Flexibility is important for your the opposite, the opposite of durability. Here's another thing: if you commit yourself to being durable in your relationship, you intend you look for the it's going to last. Then all of a sudden, you you look at life from a position of, okay, what can I do to make sure that happens? And by doing that, you become more reliable. And by looking at it from a place of durability. You look, you, you find the areas of flex. I'm not going to make that a big deal because this is not worth it. My marriage is more important to me winning an argument. My marriage is more important to me getting my way. My marriage is more important to me than, than things happening the way I want them to. I'm going to kind of work with that. And so you find those areas where you can do that. And, and so these two are very, the two main ones are very important. But I think the pillars that are the most important are the two outside ones. The love, trust, and respect and the grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We're going to spend uh, some time looking at those. Love, trust, and respect. Turn with me, if you can, to Ephesians chapter 5 really quick. We're going to look at a piece of scripture that talks about love and respect and how it grows, how it's supposed to be inside of a marriage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, Further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I like the way they put this in the New Living Translations. It says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I always try to figure out in my mind how these two things work together, how Paul goes right from submitting to one another and then right to husbands and wives. They kind of clear it up for me. He says, for wives this means. Here's what this looks like, this concept I just described, Paul says. This is what it looks like. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. That's a tough pill to swallow sometimes. He goes on to say, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his, his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. We are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. Well, we just read Genesis 1, I mean Genesis 2. And the two are united in one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of, of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. The important thing about here is that I think if, if the husband starts from a point of love, then everything begins to turn on that, on that point. I put, a, I put a thing up here, a, a definition of love. I learned this from Pastor Eric. I heard him quote it many, many times. Love gives at the expense of self to gratify another. Lust takes from others to gratify self. Trying to figure out where you're operating from. If the, think about the cost. Love gives at the expense of self to gratify another. I'll tell you how love works. By the way, I want to thank William for being ready to go last week. 
but I did not know it. I asked him on Wednesday night, Lord orders your steps if you just let him. I'm driving to the church on Wednesday night, and I had a long day. I meant to, I had spent some time, in, I spent a day at the hospital. Didn't get a really chance to prepare, and I thought, Lord, I, I just need some help. And he said, Aaron, didn't, didn't William say a few weeks ago he thought he had, I'd showed him something, he could preach. Why don't you ask him to preach Sunday morning? I said, great, I can do that if William shows up. On Wednesday night, I will ask him, Lord. So I start Wednesday night service. William's not here. And I thought, okay, I missed the Lord again. Five minutes later, him and Latanya come in and sit down like right behind where Seth and Patty are sitting. And I'm like, okay, Lord. And I asked William to, William to preach. And don't you know, Friday morning, well, actually, well, Thursday night into Friday morning, I started feeling really bad. And my wife, I get up in the morning, my wife makes a suggestion, Aaron, why don't you call the doctor? And I already had an appointment scheduled. I went through my appointment, and I called the doctor. And she said, you know how us guys are. You must be feeling really bad because I, I only mentioned it once and you, you bit on it. And so I did. And William came for me and that was great. Uh, we've had a long week. One of the things we're talking about later is sharing together. I share with my wife this week. About the time I started feeling better, she started feeling bad. And she was, she was bad all week. Nasty. She, she went from just having the, the, the very severe sinus infection. I mean, it, it just knocked me for a loop. I can't even describe how bad I felt last weekend. She went from having that to an ear infection simultaneously. And then had her ear pop on Thursday night and stuff oozed out. And it was just kind of gross. And she's on antibiotics and the whole nine yards. It's craziness. And, I mean, she's, she actually felt a better day. She wanted to be here. That's why I'm holding this. So I want to show you what love looks like, okay? We made plans. We got to pray for us. We have not had a well day, a total, a total well day at our home for several weeks now. I mean, every day since I can't tell you when, we've had a fever. We've, we've got pink eye at our house right now. It just becomes very, very frustrating. And when you have a family the size of ours, it's hard to keep everybody well all at the same time. So she, we had plans of swapping our kids this morning just where she's going to be at service because it would be the first time in like three weeks since we've both been here at the same time. She comes walking in the doorway a little while ago. I'm having a conversation with somebody after the first service. And she said, I can't stay. Both the boys are still feeling really bad. They've got really nasty noses. I can't put them in class. Sierra's still got pink eye. I said, I thought your mom was going to watch the kids. She said, I don't want to put the, her, her through that. They're still having bad. So, And she goes, here. I went, what's that? She said, that's hot tea and lemon. And I had, I, she was in bed when I left this morning. So I didn't tell her. I still have a, I woke up this morning with a scratchy throat. I said, how did, how did you, I don't know, Aaron. She handed it to me. She, ga- she, ga- she gave me a kiss, and she walked out the back door. Love gives it. See, how, how do you equate that with love, Aaron? My wife stuck four kids in the car. It's like six degrees outside of the house this morning. Managed to get all of them in the car. Managed to get a hot tea and a honey. Get it to me. Get, the, get all the kids in the house. Well, she didn't bring it. She, she, she made Sierra sit in the car because of the peak, I think. Brought everybody else in here. Got me the thing. And was able to go home and take. That's giving. That's giving of yourself for the good of somebody else. I wish I had a story about me. I can't think of one right now. And there's a reason for that. Because, guys, Dr. Eggridges will talk about this. He'll spend, he'll spend a whole session talking about this. God does not not use wasteful words when he tells men to love their wives he's not saying that because it comes easy he's saying that because it's not natural for us and we have to be commanded to do so 
It was easy for my wife to think about doing that. She's nurturing. That's what she does. Me, on the other hand, if I'd have been the, been the other way around, I'd been like, dude, I'm sorry. I know you feel bad. I got these three, four kids. None of them feel good. Sorry about the sweet tea thing and the, and the hot tea and lemon and, and, and honey thing. Sorry about that. I, I'm not bringing these kids out. I'm, but my wife did that. It comes natural for her. I have to think about I have to be very conscientious. I have to be very intentional. I have to be thinking a couple steps ahead. That's why it says that in the Scripture. But on the flip side, look at this. It's the man of God to be given from husbands to their wives. Love is. He demands that. Husband, you have no choice. You have to give super, superficially. No, you don't. You better not do that, matter of fact. You have to give sacrificially. You have to. You have to be selfless. See, our problem is as guys, we get caught up with what we got going on and the tasks we got to accomplish and things we got to get done, people we got to talk to, and where we got to get. And we, oftentimes the nurturing and the loving part of life gets way past us. And God says, I want you to be intentional about that. I want you to concentrate and focus on that. I want you to make sure you are getting that. He wants that. Love has nothing to do with what you're expecting to get. It's what you're expected to give, which is everything. Man, that was a powerful quote. That nailed me right in the chest. Everything. But women, see, you have a little different issue. Hang on, let me get a drink of this. It's still warm, Ashley. Amazing. Respect is the issue for the ladies. Can I say that? I just did. Uh, am I right? Isn't it one of the hardest things you have as a woman to offer respect to your husband, especially when it feels like he's not getting it right? Why does God say that? Because he knows it doesn't come natural. Honor is a natural thing for a man. That's why men gravitate toward team sports and military things and things of that nature because they understand a code of honor and a code of contact, co conduct, the, 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 the rank and, and things of leadership and how things flow. And so if you ever notice a guy, when, when, when somebody of, of real authority comes in the room, most men will go like this. And they won't really, they'll become very, you ever watch, Dow could probably speak to this to some degree. When, when, you're in, when you're involved in the, in the military and you're in, you're in formation, you never look the commander right square in the eye. You keep your, and he might be right here. Am I right, Dow? As an act of honor, you stay at attention, and no matter what he's saying, what he's doing, you do like that. If you watch a man, when, when somebody with authority, most of the time a guy, this is not, I mean, this is not completely 100% true, but as guys, when somebody with authority walks in, most men will get very, and become very, okay, boy, I better just, when you get into an argument, what's the first thing a man does? Am I telling the truth? And you women perceive that to be something like he's dissing you or something like that. When all honesty, it's exactly the opposite. What he's doing right now is trying to figure out how he can disagree with you and honor you at the same time. So he puts his head down, not look, doesn't look at you and goes, okay, what can I do to get this right? I'm going to say something I'm going to regret if I'm not careful. And you women perceive it as if we're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not connecting. See, the woman wants more than anything else for, to, to understand how you feel. The guy wants to know any, more than anything else what you think about something so he can, he can assess it. 
and make a conscious, honorable decision about it. Am I right? Men, are you intentionally not looking at your wife in the face because you're dissing her? Is that true? Are you doing that? No. You're doing it because you want to honor her. I mean, just think about it. Just think about it for just a second. Isn't that what happened? Dr. Eggridge says this. He says, most of the, the, the conflicts in marriage are not because the people are ill-willed towards one another. In fact, they're quite the opposite. They just can't connect on the things that are really important. They keep missing each other's signals. And so when a man does that, he's not trying to be, like, less than honorable. He's trying to be honorable. And he's very, very much trying not to mess up the situation worse, which I know I'm quite capable of. I have found that a size 12 fits very nicely right here. Okay? And so women, oftentimes, the respect issue is something because you don't quite relate to it. You don't understand a code of honor. It doesn't come natural to you. The, 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 Dr. Eggridge talks in the, in the thing about if you just watch even, even male gorillas, when the silverback wa- walks in, the other guys automatically bow their head. It's just innate in a man, in a male, to give honor to whom honor is due. And you try not to, and you know, I've, I've messed my wife up already. I've said something stupid. I, 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 okay, now what do I do? And I try not to. Right? Women, don't misunderstand that. Your husband will thrive in a place where he feels like you respect his opinion. Even when he's wrong. I was going to confess because my wife, I thought my wife would be here today, and I told the first, the first class, the first service, I, I say this. There's nothing that frustrates me more. Have you ever seen that, that, that commercial? I, I would have used this if it was a beer commercial. Have you seen that commercial lately? They're in, the guy and the girl are sitting at the table, and she says, I love you. And he goes, I love you. I love you. Two things are hard for a guy to say, express. His true feelings, and it's hard for a guy because of that code of honor, thinking you've displeased someone, to admit when they've really messed it up. And when a man says, I'm sorry, oh, this drives me crazy. I'll go, I'm sorry. My wife goes, and I'll try and get her to, to I'll say, what, what, hey, I said I'm sorry. That does not fix it. Huh? Well, I understand that, but that's a start. And you at least need to acknowledge. He said, words are cheap. I agree. There better be some real compassion and some real movement at the point of that acknowledgement. It's like what God expects of us. He says what? He says, confess your sin that you may be healed, right? But he says, go and what? Sin no more. Right? Let's get this right the next time. I get that. But to not even acknowledge I haven't said anything? And that turning away is not an act of honor. That's an act of, I don't care. You know what I mean? We've talked about this before. My wife knows all about that. I'll make sure she gets a CD. You know, we we got to find a place of respect. Here's what happens. If the man starts to love like he's supposed to love, respect becomes easier and easier for the woman. If the woman begins to respect the way she's supposed to respect Love should become easier and easier for the man. The cycle should be going in the right direction. Respect. Respect the man. He'll do the more, James Howell said. I thought that's pretty neat. We're not always going to get it right, gentlemen. Women, we're not always going to get it right. I promise. I'm not going to get it right all the time. 
But here's the thing. When you understand each other's hearts, you can respect them in spite of the fact that they've messed up. We'll get the grace portion. Forget this in just a second. Trust, love, and respect build trust. Here's the thing. If, if man, you're loving your wife like Christ loved the church, it reciprocates trust because she knows your heart. She knows you, you are trying to make the right decisions. And trust is the natural reciprocation out of truly love, sacrificial love. Woman, if you show you have respect for his thoughts and his ideas and his, his perception of things, it will build trust in him because he knows when you respond and don't disagree, you at least, you at least respect his thought and his idea. This goes both ways, too. The men will have a little bit of harder time, easier time of offering respect in most cases. Women have a little easier time of offering love. But if we do that simultaneously, if, if husbands will respect the wife's opinion, things will go better. If wives would love sacrificially, things would go better in a lot of cases. And so we're learning to do that. Trust is giving ourselves completely to the one we love and believing they will do the same. Trust is assumed until it's violated. You know, it all hinges. If, if we start on the love quotient and we really apply the love quotient, respect becomes easier, trust becomes easier, and those foundational things get locked in together. It's like, it's like it's, they're mortared together so tightly they can't be, they can't be shaken. Love sacrificially. Husband, go out of your way to express how much you love her. Sacrifice to the nth degree. Let your stuff not supersede the stuff your wife needs and the stuff your kids need. Let it be known clearly, clearly that you love. My wife just told me this week, like I said, she'd been down most of the week. And she said, Aaron, I've never seen you take such care to make sure things are clean and put in their place and I'm just not that way I, I had a conversation with a couple people this week here at the church you know I'm not like real super dirty or anything but I'm just not real like matter of fact clean you know I just don't my desk isn't like neat and tidy never has been I have piles instead of files I'm just that's just me and but I took great care and concern because I knew Rachel that, that matters to Rachel and she couldn't keep up with all of it and so I tried to be very very conscientious again it took it, it wasn't natural it took I had to like really apply myself and pay closer attention than I'm normally used to clean up dishes and wipe up stuff and send her to bed when she needed to be and, well you got to take care of the kids yeah I'll take care of the kids you just go to bed I'll take care of it and and and, and she said these words to me earlier she said Aaron thanks for loving me so much to me one night I really I get it I understand how much you love me Better more than I have for a long time, probably. It just catches up, you know. And now trust is growing greater. Trust is assumed until it's violated. Once it's violated, it's hard to get back. It's hard to get regained. Trust is a huge thing. Without trust, we have nothing. I remember one time, Rachel and I were going through some things. We, we, trust was, was an issue, and, and for all sorts of reasons. And we were just married maybe two or three years. I remember one night I looked at each other, I looked at her, I said, babe, if we can't trust each other, what do we have? And she said, what? I said, if we can't trust each other to make wise decisions and to care about one another, what do we have? And trust is huge. And that was a real pivotal moment in our, in our relationship. We came to the, 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 the agreement that, man, we have to trust each other. We have to put each other right there and put ultimate confidence 
all around the, or we're not getting anywhere. Love, trust, and respect walk hand in hand. The more trust you offer, the more love is given. The more love you give, the more trust grows. The more respect you give, the more love grows. The more respect you, all, you give, the more trust is, 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 is supplied. Everything that needs to be a part of uh, is grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Oh, these are huge. You know why these are huge? These are huge because this relationship between husband and wife is supposed to be the closest semblance to Christ and his church. Out of all the other relationships on the planet, Jesus said, this represents me best. And how does the relationship with Jesus start? It starts from a point of love that's expressed through grace, mercy, and forgiveness. We have no access to relationship with Jesus without his love being displayed to us through grace, mercy, and forgiveness. There's no way we can even get even enter into the, into the relationship without that. And if that's the case, then grace, mercy, and forgiveness have to be given to us as, uh, in, in our marital relationships. Have to be expressed through us. Have to be expressed to us. And so grace is this. Grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. That's grace. Sometimes we get, we, get, we, get, we get the terms mixed up. Grace is giving something to someone when they don't deserve it. Being extra nice, even though they've been a doofus or a jerk all day. Mercy is not giving them what they deserve. They might deserve a good wallop upside the head, but we choose not to do that. They might deserve to not be spoken to for three days, but we don't do that. And forgiveness walks in because we can offer grace and mercy, but unless we wipe the slate clean, the wound still exists. I've been involved in situations where, where, where things come up that have been there forever. And one spouse or the other thought it was dealt with, and it wasn't, and like from Five years ago, something they said came back up in an argument. And all of a sudden, you're like, dude, I thought we had that hand. What do you mean? And the slate was never wiped clean. Was never. And so all of a sudden, that thing is still there. we got to not only offer grace. We're not going to offer mercy. We've got to offer forgiveness. And those three things go hand in hand because Jesus did that for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God is rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. Daniel 9, 9. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. One passage of Scripture says this. He took our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west. And again, God doesn't waste terms. This is before people really, really understood scientifically that the earth was round. When God utters these words. If he would have said, as far as the north is from the south, what would that have been like? If you, like, if you take off from, from here and start traveling north, eventually, you get to the North Pole, go over to the other side, and what? You've achieved south, Right? Now, if you, get off, if, you get, if you get on a plane from here and start flying east, go around the equator, go all the way around the world, through the Mediterranean, through Asia, around to the Pacific, and back around, no matter how many laps you take, you can never achieve west. You're still going east. Just constantly, constantly. And God says he will remove our sin from us. He will wipe the, 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 the slate slow clean. You can't get back to it. 
He says, as far as the east is from the west. He says, you should, we, we, and this is supposed, how, supposed to be how we express ourselves in marriage. Ephesians 1.7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave our sins. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness all walk hand in hand. And in a marriage relationship, they have to be absolutely seen. And the reason they have to be absolutely seen is because two of the three people involved in the relationship are imperfect. I will bet that even today, some of you have had the opportunity to express grace and mercy and forgiveness to the person that's your significant other. Why? Because they're imperfect. Because they mess up. Because they're tore up. That's, that's just the way it works. God is the other person. The Trinity of God expresses completeness. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Man is made complete because he's body, soul, and spirit. And in a marriage, for a marriage to be complete, it must be husband, wife, and God. He's perfect. He's got his act together. It's the other two of us that have problems. And he asks us to resemble himself by expressing grace, mercy, and forgiveness almost daily toward one another. Almost daily. I can remember the first time I made my wife cry. I remember like it was yesterday. I, I can't believe I harmed her in such a way. I know exactly where it was. I know exactly what the conversation was about. I, 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 I can remember the, 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 we were outside. It was fall. And I said something, and she started to bawl. I felt, oh, my goodness. I just can't even begin to describe. I messed up. You know what? She's never brought that moment back up, ever. She forgave me. She extended grace and mercy to me. But it's emblazoned on my heart. I don't ever, ever want to harm her like I harmed her that day ever again. I will never utter those words. I could really be uptight about them, but because she's offered grace and mercy and forgiveness, I've acknowledged that it's there. So I don't ever go back there. But I did that. So what's some things you can do as a husband, as a wife, as a couple, to solidify these things? You know what you have to do? You absolutely have to be together. You have to be, you have to work at togetherness. You have to work at doing and being together. The very first place you start is this. You worship together. And that's not just about the, it's not just about this moment in time here in this service. It's about your life. If worship is a lifestyle, then it becomes a part of who you are. And you make God the central focus. And, 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 and working inside the confines of, the, of, of ministry God's given you, you give that to, your, to each other. And you walk it out together. And you, you find places to get together. Along with that, you pray together. I don't know why, guys, but it seems like one of the hardest things we have a time doing is praying with our wives. Why is that such a hard thing? Because, you know, I think it is because I know, I think we know that they know we've been dishonorable in certain aspects of our lives. We've fallen way short. And every time we go to grab their hands or go to pray for them, Satan tries really hard to, 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 to make those things prevalent in our lives. And all of a sudden, we can't grab those hands. All of a sudden, oh, I messed up so bad. She knows everything about me. Oh, my God. Guys, do you find it it's hardest to pray for your wife when you know you've messed up? Is it hard? It's the hardest to grab a hold of her hand and say, let me pray for you. And she's looking at you like, yeah, you big jerk. At least that's your perception. One of the greatest things you can do is pray for your wife. Listen, I want to give you just a, a real quick 
How do you pray for your wife? Just like this. You grab her in the morning. She never got out of bed. She never acknowledged that you're there. I will walk over, put my hand on her, and go, you know what, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that you would be with my wife today. Lord, I pray this would be the greatest day of her life. Lord, I pray that she'd sense your presence wherever she goes. Lord, I pray, God, she'd have your wisdom and she'd make great decisions. Lord, I pray, God, that today, God, she'd experience joy and peace and hope like she's never experienced before. Lord, I pray, Jesus, you would watch over her and you'd protect her and you'd be with her wherever she goes. Lord, have a, let her have an amazing, amazing day today in the name of Jesus. And you know what you're doing? You're setting the spiritual temperature of your family. Guys, has this ever happened in, in, in your house? It's cold in here. And have you ever had the thought, well, you know where the thermostat is. Ever had that thought? Huh? You know what she's saying? I want you to take the lead. I want you to do something significant to make this situation better. And spiritually speaking, men, women are asking us to set the temperature, spiritually speaking. And when you grab your wife's hands and you pray for her, when you put your arm around her and you offer words of blessing from the truth of the Scripture, you begin to ask God, you are setting the spiritual temperature of your home, of your family. Doesn't it be flowery? I just give you 15 seconds. All of you guys can repeat what I just prayed. Didn't have a lot of Scripture references in it. Didn't have a lot of real flowery these, thou's, and hitherto's and things of that nature in it. Just real quick to the point from the heart. And you know what I bet will happen if you just begin to apply that? It'll just grow. Or you know it, maybe she'll reach over and grab your hand and say, God, and before my husband walks out that door, you know what he's got to face today, the challenges will present himself to me. Lord, let him walk in your power. Let him be confident of who he is in you. Lord, and all that kind of stuff. All of a sudden it begins to reciprocate. Pray together. Next thing, share together. One of the greatest things happened to us, man, i got to go. Share, share together is this. Somebody gave us a, 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 a package uh, for Christmas. In it was, it was a basket, and in it was like all the fixings for a meal. And in that all those fixes for a meal was this cube. It had, it was called, I forget, table talk, I think is what it was called. And we sit at the house every night as a family. We, we, we make a commitment. Try to, not every day does it work out, but try to every day have one meal together as a family. Just one. Try and get up early enough before everybody starts their day to have breakfast together or workout schedule. Sometimes we go home for lunch. Maybe some days eat dinner together. We try and do that. And one of, the greatest, one of the greatest gifts we got was this table talk thing. And what it is, it's just little things like this. Name someone you admire and why. And all of a sudden, we're having heart to heart. We're sharing together different things. Name a time you defended somebody who was helpless for whatever reason. And we're going to convey, you need to create an environment in your home where you can share together. Share your hopes. Share your dreams. Share your, share your, your ideas. Share your hopes, your fears, your frustrations, your pleasures. Let them know what you like, what you dislike, what gets you jazzed up, and what, 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 what unmotivates you. Let, let your spouse know what's going on inside of you. Work together. I do not understand this. Couples have all sorts of things going on. And she's got this project he's work, she's working on. He's got this project, and she's got the other night on when, where she's doing, working on this one thing, and he goes over here and does this one thing. I don't see anything wrong with us having outside interests and stuff, you know, playing softball one day a week or something like that. But when there's so many other things going on, we're all fragmented in every direction. There's something wrong with that picture. There should be projects and goals we set together as a couple, as a family, that we're working on together, that we're trying to accomplish together. Getting out of debt's a great one. 
Am I right, Todd? Huh? It, it, honestly, when, when we sat down, Rachel and I started talking, really talking budget once a month together, it's, 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 it's changed the atmosphere in our, in our house. It's weird. And it's not that long of a conversation. 15 minutes or something like that. Once a month, we sit down and we talk about our budget. We want to change anything here? We want to do anything there? We want to do that? Okay, let's do that. That's fine. It's amazing. And we're working together on it. Another thing I'd like to encourage you to do is recreate together. Why should you work together, have goals you're, you're working on together? You should be able to have fun together. Most couples make a fatal error. They get married and they stop dating. Sometimes for me and my wife, it's as simple as doing something, sort of like going shopping for our kids or something. So we do, just me and her go. Run through McDonald's and run to go get something the kids need or want for birthday or something. And we find somebody else to watch them for a few minutes, for an hour and a half or something, and we go do that. We just, it's just me and her. I'd encourage you guys to develop some sort of plan where you can have a date night every so often. Once a month would be great. I realize life is complicated and things are going on, but find some things. First Peter 3 says this, In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then if they even refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. That's an amazing statement. The, the, the blockage is because of the lack of honor maybe sometimes in, in, in families. They can be won by observing your pure and reverent lives. Verse 7 says this, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. Wow! Guys, how many of you want your prayers answered? How many of you are having a hard time with that right now? Maybe you're not treating your wife as she needs to be treated. Maybe there's some blockage at a spiritual level you've not yet considered. My wife is stronger in areas than I am in some capacities. She is. As a physical person, she's not as strong as I am. That's why I always get to open the jars. And take out the trash. And things of that nature. But I want her to know that I love her. I want her to know that I see her in the same capacity that Jesus sees the church. I want her to know that she's loved. Wives, you should want your, your husband to know that you think he's one of the most amazing people on the planet. That you honor his ideas and his opinions. That you honor him as a, as a leader. Maybe, maybe you should honor, honor him as in the capacity of what you want him to be, not as you see him sometimes. That may change the whole outlook and the whole perspective love must give sacrificially our homes will be full of sacrificial love amazing trust and ultimate respect they must be full of grace and mercy and forgiveness without those outside pillars the whole house collapse on it, collapses on itself you can grow this thing you can solidify its foundation the power of the Holy Spirit, walking out the principles this word describes, and allowing Him access to your every life. That's what that worship together part is. That's what that pray together part is. You're offering God the access to your life, to your marriage, that will solidify and strengthen it. I don't know. 
where all of your marriages are. This book is applicable to every facet of our lives. It is inspired by God because he's the creator of life. He knows how all of it works. He knows how marriages work. He knows how families work. He knows how to help us remedy and fix all of them if we'll just listen. Stand with me if you would.